So, Bob Bergen. Yes. The voice of Porky Pig. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> You've also done Tweety. Yeah. Yeah. What is it like being one of the most iconic characters? Because you picked up for Mel Blanc, because Blank passed away in 1989. Correct. And so, you're technically the second voice of Porky Pig, or the third voice of Porky Pig? Well, he point? wasn't the first voice. Right. Uh, a guy named Joe Doherty created the character, but he had a real stutter. Mm-hmm. And back then, it was before the days of tape. Right. And they were wasting so much money because uh, he couldn't get the line out that Jack Warner said, let's find somebody who, who can control this stutter. Mm-hmm. And Mel Blanc had done one cartoon for him, uh, for Warner Brothers, playing the voice of a guy in a, in a bull suit. Mm-hmm. And he was drunk. And so well, let's get him. And they had him in to do Porky. And uh, so he did Porky until he passed away. Uh, he passed away in 89. They held auditions. Um, I'm not the only one who's done any of these right. characters. They've got multiple guys doing these characters. Right. And they've got some of us who have been doing I've been doing, I would say I'm 99% Pork. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've got other people that they've used in audition over the years. Right. And But it's the, this iconic character, these Looney Tunes characters, these Merry Melodies characters. Yeah. That have been around eighty plus years. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, on par with uh, Bugs Bunny is on par with Mickey Mouse, sure. and Porky and Daffy and everybody else with Donald and Goofy. Yeah, you know, it's a legacy that's um, Americana essentially. Mm-hmm. American culture is based on these cartoons. Right. What is it like being a part of this type of history? Uh, a bit surreal that I never take for granted. Mm-hmm. Every time I drive on either a lot or a recording studio to do this, I, I still pinch myself after almost thirty years when I still get to do this. Mm-hmm. A uh, bit of a challenge at times because uh, if it's something where we're trying to emulate the old classic stuff, mm-hmm. uh, you can chew oh, while no, I'm, I'm talking. Fine, okay, yeah. um, you want to stay true to the integrity of the original character. None of us are Mel Blanc. None of us will be. No, in my opinion, I sound nothing like Mel Blanc, but I do my best to play Porky. So it, it, at the very beginning, I used to think I got to do my Mel Blanc. And then I realized, no, I've got to do Porky Pig. And I remember in my, one of the first auditions, they gave us a reference tape that was like seven, eight minutes long. And it had a little sample from the 30s, a little sample from the 40s, a little sample from the 50s. And I said, well, which one do you want? And they were looking at me like I was crazy, like, well, it's Porky. I said, well, no, it's different times in Porky's evolution. Mm-hmm. What do you want? And they said to me, what do you want? And I said, well, in my opinion... Porky really came into his own 50 to 55, which would be Duck Dodgers, Drip Along Daffy, Robin Hood Daffy, that period of, of Chuck Jones pairing Greedy Daffy with Porky Pig. Yeah. Early, early, early on, Mel Blanc was still trying to find the personality. He, it, it, with, with, with Bob Clampett, it was one personality. With Frizz Freeling, it was another. With Chuck Jones, another. So I think I kind of knew more about the, the, the legacy and the history of these characters than a lot of these these executives did. Right. So they were very, very kind in that they allowed me to just put my creative stamp on it, how I saw the character. Today, we're doing situations with these characters they never did. Right. They never had cell phones. Mm-hmm. They never drove an Uber. So we have to put these characters in current references, current pop culture, and still uphold the integrity right. of the original. That's the challenge. And how fun is it when Porky one-ups Daffy and, like, you know, Daffy's being the shyster the whole time, and then all of a sudden Porky gets his comeuppance. Like, how exciting is that for the character? It's fun, but i got to tell you, we did a show called New Looney Tunes where 
they brought back crazy, wacky, zany Daffy for the first time in years, and Porky gets the crap beat out of him. We're doing a new series now called Looney Tunes Cartoons, where it feels very true and reminiscent to Bob Clampett's Porky. Innocent Porky, innocent everyman victim, um, frustrated, um, more sight gags. It's, it's actually, we're working directly from storyboards rather than scripts, so it's it's artist-driven, which is how the originals were done. Right. Um, but Porky is not... You know, the, remember the old cartoons where Sylvester was mute? Mm-hmm. And he had Porky and with, going to the haunted house. And yeah. the life. That's not... We're not really doing that Porky. At least we haven't yet. Right. But as you're, as you're pointing out, there's so many different facets to these characters. You just have to go with the flow. And recently we celebrated, God, 25th anniversary of Space Jam. I think 20th. 20th anniversary yeah. of Space Jam. What is it like with something like, you know, I mean, Michael Jackson did the soundtrack. Him and Heavy D did that did that song jam, and then Michael Jordan's in the movie, yeah. and Bill Murray's in the movie. And I know, you know, you're not on set with them at this at this point in time, but I wasn't it, back then either, you know, right? <laughs> but to sit there and you know, nieces, nephews, cousins, etc., yeah. people you grew up with, and going, I'm voicing a character that's there with the greatest basketball player. From 1985 to 1996, right, and you know the the most iconic musician ever is is doing the soundtrack for it. Like, how surreal is this? On top of everything, especially with Warner Brothers, you know, making the big push for it and the possible reboot or loose sequel that they're talking about. Yeah, you know, they've been talking about a sequel since we did the first one, and it's one of those I'll believe it when I see it. Mm -hmm. I heard there was a hockey jam at one time, and I heard that there was a, a wrestling jam at one time. So. Odds are I'll probably have to audition for it because that's what they make us do. Um, a bunch of us from the original cast went to see it. It was re-released theatrically on the 20th anniversary, and I went with Dee Baker and Jocelyn Blue. Um, and it was just, you know, bringing back memories. I'm watching scenes from the... I really hadn't seen the movie since. Right. And I'm watching scenes, and I'm, I'm, I'm picturing Dee that day doing it, you know, 20, 22 years ago. Uh, it's kind of surreal just to see it again. Because I mean, it still holds up as a fun, over-the-top. Well, good. I'm glad you like Tunes movie. You know, I'm glad you like it. You know, it was the type of thing where the back then the diehard fans didn't like it mm. because they felt that it, it didn't hold true to the original characters. Um, but but this there's is also you know less than ten years since Mel's been gone. So yeah, you know, is the is there that notion of you know, well, Mel's gone, so these are imposters to the throne. I don't know if it was that or that, wow, that wasn't Chris Freeling doing this cartoon. That wasn't uh, Chuck Jones doing this cartoon. All new producers. Bugs would never say that. You know, fans today get really picky. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to say fans have always been picky, but right. fans, when these cartoons, the originals came out, there was no internet where they could go to a, a fan page and offer their opinions. I've always wondered on the playgrounds... That very first time they went from zany Daffy to greedy Daffy, were the kids going, hey, Daffy changed? Right. Were they noticing it? Now, we as kids would watch the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner show on Saturday morning. And the first and the first short was from 1948, uh, uh, Bob McKimson. Mm-hmm. And the second one was 1956 Chuck Jones. Right. None of us ever thought twice that, oh, the characters are changing from short to short. We just accepted it. But today, right. when they do something new, 
the character designs are scrutinized. Right. And what I always try to tell people is for every new Looney Tunes project that we're doing, think of it as a different character. It's their take. It's their fingerprint on this particular version of these characters. But i got to tell you, even with new Looney Tunes where they really did change, I mean, Porky was morbidly obese in new Looney Tunes, but he was originally. They went back to his original design. So I liked that. I thought that was really clever to go back to the way he looked back in the 30s rather than, you know, that look that everybody knows. In our current cartoon, he is classic Porky. But I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm as big a fan as everybody, but I'm also very, I'm able to go, no, this is just this version of it. A lot of you know, what we deal with, on, in some instances, are the fans that this isn't my you know they, my childhood is ruined. Right. And I hear a lot of that. Oh yeah, melodramatic. Yes. And we discussed that actually with Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mm-hmm. at San Diego Comic Con, and I made the reference of I had my three Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. I had my two iterations of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You know, I had uh, X Y Z. Right. You know, it's time for the younger kids to get what they want or what they need mm-hmm. for for their audience. Especially post nine eleven, post modern, post right. et cetera, et cetera. You know, what is it like when fans sit there and go, you know, like because you go to conventions, you go sure. to the, these. Things I also I'm like, on a lot of sites. Right. I, I I lurk the fan websites. Sometimes I comment, but most of the time I just wonder what are they saying? Right. What are they liking? What aren't they liking? Has there been a negative reaction in some instances? Because I mean, you said every earlier, instance. You know, somebody's going to say something negative about. Them. So it's this is this is. This is social media. People will post what I would hope they would never say to somebody's face. Right. And I've read, oh my God, he sucked. Yeah, they've ruined my childhood. He was pathetic. She should never act again. And I'm like, boy, I mean, my mom brought me up better than that. Right. But this is today's generation of how they communicate with each other. Um, there, there have been times, I mean, I can remember one animation forum... And people were saying some really bad things about an actor friend of mine. And I popped in. I just said, you do know that that person you're talking about will see this. Mm. And I got, what's your point? Mm. Manners. Right. You know? Um, it's not going to stop them. They have every right to. Mm-hmm. Should they? Sure, if they want to. Yeah. But I wouldn't. Mm. I would never talk negatively like that in public to vent. On the other hand, we're making these for these people. Right. I want to know what they think. Um, it's just to where we live in that they're going to post publicly what's happening right. and what they're feeling. Um, but like they, you said, they'll never mention it to somebody's face. Well, or they, they may. Maybe yeah. that's the generation we're, we're raising today. What I'd like a lot of fans to understand, an actor's performance is guided by many factors. They don't just say, here's how I'm doing it. There's a producer, a director. There's sometimes a network or a studio, and they want to take these characters in a different direction, and they want this line delivered their way. And even I might go, well, here's what will happen. If I find they're doing that with my classic characters, I will do it exactly the way they're asking because that's what they're paying me to do. Mm -hmm. But before I leave that studio, I will say, hey, guys, can I do one more for me? And I will do it one more for me. Mm -hmm. And I don't know which one they're going to print. Right. I don't know which one they're going to inevitably keep, but that's up to them. At least I creatively gave my ideas. Right. And now, you know, let's flip this from... (laughs) You've done this for a while, clearly. 
Just hang on a second. Are you guys here for something? Well, we're going to be in here till four. Our bad. No, no okay. problem. No problem. But after four, it's all yours. Yeah. Ignore that, people. We're on a ship. We can play the long, the long form, or I can put notes saying if you hear a jump cut, it's because there's I, an I like the spontaneity of it. Yeah, I if you're hearing lots form. of noise in the background, they're they're putting ice in a big machine. <laughs> we're at a lounge on a cruise ship. Yeah. At some point, there has to be the leap. I mean, you, know, you started off relatively young as an actor. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Mary Lynn was saying that you guys have known each other since you were in your teen years. Well, uh, late teen for me. Yeah. Well, little, oh, she was my agent. Yeah, yeah. And so, the, you know, there, there's that connection. But is it more difficult to start off when you're younger because they expect you to be more mature, or is it less difficult because you're just this wide-eyed kid that goes? Ah. You know, I'll give it a shot. Well, it all starts with talent. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the talent, it doesn't matter if you're 14 or 40. Mm -hmm. If you're not good, then it doesn't matter. Uh, If you're a teenager and you're studying and and trying to get into the business, I mean, they hire children today, but they still want professional. you got to be polite, take direction, and be creative. Mm -hmm. It's not more or less difficult depending on the age. I've met some very mature 14-year-olds, and I've met some very immature 50-year-olds. It's all an individual thing, but the number is not relative. Right. See, that, that's something to, to aspire to because, you know, politeness goes a very long way. Mm-hmm. But there's also the line of fraudulence in behavior. Like, it's too schmoozy or it's too over-the-top. Like, are you really this genuine of a person, or are you just putting on a shtick because you want the job? And, like, how do you, as an actor weave in and out of the BS and going, someone's blowing smoke up my butt versus, you know, this person is genuinely this this nice. If they're not genuine, but they come across genuine, then they're just a really good actor and that's all that counts. Mm-hmm. But we can usually smell insincerity mm-hmm. a mile away. The nice thing about the voiceover community and especially the animation community, we, I participated in a documentary called I Know That Voice. Yes, I, I watched the documentary John, uh, John DiMaggio put it yeah, out. Yeah, and I'm looking at all the people I work with mm-hmm. Number one, I went to the premiere. I'm learning stuff from my, my contemporaries, which is pretty exciting mm-hmm. to be able to say that. But I'm also going, oh, my God, James Arnold Taylor, D. Baker, Kath Susie, these are genuinely nice people. Mm-hmm. And when we work together, um, Jeff Bergman, uh, Darren Norris, we will watch each other work, and we're cracking each other up, and we are truly impressed with each other. There's, there's very rarely a jealousy. There's very rarely um, animosity. I saw that when I did on camera. Actors who were very judgmental, who would try to psych you out at the audition to, to get you off your game so you'd blow it. Mm-hmm. Where in voiceover, you'd be at an audition and a fellow actor would say, Hey, Robert, I don't know if your agent got you into that Tide audition, but you're perfect for it. I just read for it. Call them. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the person who's hoping to get the job right. sharing that information. It's a whole different... Now, I'm talking L.A. professional voiceover. Right. Around the country, people who are dabbling, doing fan Mm -hmm. dubs and pursuing voiceover elsewhere. I don't know what it's like there. I'm not living that world. But what I've seen online is a little bit more cynical, Mm -hmm. sometimes bitter, jealousy, judgmental, and people looking to do less but get more. And, and they're in it for the money. You can't go into this for the money. You, do, you go into acting because you love it. If you happen to make money, that's a wonderful byproduct, but it's not a, it's not a goal. Now, most artists 
tend to be very critical of themselves, but athletes as well. Right. Everyone in their own industry. Yeah. And, you know, my background came from a sports background. Right. So I have, like, notes that I've been taking and what you've been teaching your students. Like, I will put sports phrases sure. that, that match what, you know, makes sense in my head right. for the phrase. Like, you sit there and go commit, commit to the, you know, commit to the character. And I'll write something down like, shoot the double. Because, you know, double leg takedown is a big wrestling move. And you have to commit to the double right. leg or else the and guy is going to take you out. Right. Screwed. Exactly. So, like, I'm using sports metaphors in order to understand acting metaphors. Right. Um, at some point, you know, the... Your your mind starts playing tricks on you. Where do you get to the point in as an actor and stop feeling like a fraud and that you actually belong? Because you never do. Really? Nope. Um, I think any artist, I don't care if it's voiceover, painting, dance, I think there's always that thought. Even people who said, I'd like to thank the Academy. Mm-hmm. There's that thought, really? They bought that? Mm-hmm. Um, or... When are they ever going to realize I also don't have a clue what I'm doing? Here's what I try to teach my students. If you go to an audition trying to please the listener, it means that you're, you're in your head and your intent is to be liked. Your only intent at an audition is to have fun and, and do it for yourself. Do it for your own enjoyment. I, 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 I say that think of your audition as a party and you're hosting it. And you know, you know that you are making the best choices, presenting the most wonderful curve, your your aunt's recipe for a great chocolate cake. They don't like it. You don't care. Doesn't matter to you. There's other other. But if you're just there having fun, that's all that counts. And how do you get to the point of allowing yourself to have fun? Because we've been told all our lives, you know, especially in school, mm-hmm. you know. Sit down, shut up. This is how you learn how to communicate. You know, yeah. two plus two is four, right. and you know, mathematics go this way. And here's the radius, and here's the compass that you use to draw the half circle, and color within the lines. Everything it, has to be within. Literally, the lines. just a choice. Mm-hmm. It is just making the choice to just have fun, not care. So a lot of actors don't win that audition because they get to the mic, and they're thinking to themselves, "I got to prove my parents wrong that mm-hmm. this was the right choice. I got to prove my wife wrong that this was the right choice." Mm-hmm. If I don't get this booking, my agent's going to drop me. If I don't book this, I'm not going to pay my rent this month. If you're bringing all that baggage, there's no way you're going to book it. Even if all of that is true, when those words are coming out of your mouth, when you're playing that character, all that counts is I'm having a great time. That should be your therapy. When, I, when I'm at the mic, I am as, I'm in my happy place. Whether it's an audition or an actual job, the satisfaction is exactly the same thing. I'm not thinking I'm going to get paid for this one. I'm thinking I get to create. To me, it's all about creating. If I do get to get paid, am I not lucky? But that seems like the bonus. Sure. But it's not a guarantee. Right. And it shouldn't be your end result Mm -hmm. and goal. Now, you've been married for five years. Congratulations on that. Thank you. You've been together for 17 years, you said? Yeah. Congratulations. How is it like dating... Someone. Are you saying do I do funny voices and? Well, like pick, you know, like pickup lines. Like yeah. I got to interview Rob Lowe for the movie, um, How to Be a Latin Lover. So right. Eugenio Darbes is in the movie, and Eugenio uses used his sense of humor right. to pick up his wife before he became famous. Right, right, right. Rob Lowe's pickup line was, "Hi," because he's Rob Lowe and right. he's been acting since he was eleven. Right. You know, 
as, as a voice actor, and like when you sit there and you meet somebody, you know, in the very beginning, and go, "Oh, I'm a voice actor," right. and they look at you like, "What is that?" Like, do you cut a promo for a commercial? Do you do the voices? Like, or I you do, just I'll, like, I'll, if I'm asked, I will. Right. Or I'll just say I do voices for cartoons. Mm-hmm. This is the way it usually goes. Uh, first of all, I don't really use a pickup line, right. and I don't use a character as a pickup line. Well, it's um, too late now. I mean, right? you're married, so. But I also, I also, you know, I work all day. Mm-hmm. Whether it's an audition or an actual job, I'm, I'm doing voices. So I don't go around. There's a lot of voice actors that do mm-hmm. funny voices all the time. That's not me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually, as gregarious as I come across, I'm pretty shy. Mm-hmm. And as you saw me in class, right. as energetic as I am, mm-hmm. You know, at our cocktail party the first night, I'd honestly rather be anywhere but because I'm just a really, really shy person. I play the part of, of a gregarious person. Um, that said, anybody who does what they love for a living doesn't mind doing it for anybody. So if somebody says, what do you do? You know, if you're on an airplane. Now, there are times I don't want to talk about it because I don't really want to talk about myself or get into it. And I'll just, I might say I'm a teacher. But if I, I'm like, I don't mind. I do voices for cartoons. I never say, well, I'm the voice of, because... That can change in 35 minutes. It also right. sounds pretentious. Mm-hmm. And if and if they're not interested, I don't want to assume right. that they give a damn. Mm-hmm. I do voices for cartoons, anything I would know. Well, if they're under 30, mm-hmm. I don't assume they even know Looney Tunes, because it's been out of the... It was on Saturday Morning Forever, it was on Nickelodeon, mm-hmm. it was syndicated, and then it was gone. Yeah. Um, but if they're of a certain age, do you know Looney Tunes? Yes, I'm the voice of Porky Pig. Are you really? How did you get into that? So yeah. it starts. But I don't, I'm not presumptuous enough to go talk about myself. You know, it just right. feels awkward. What is it like getting that call for a classic character and saying you're in? Um, the first time I got Porky and I had a dozen callbacks, um, I just bought my first place. I was at a session. And my mom was was house-sitting, waiting for a couch to be delivered. Mm-hmm. And she took the call from my agent that I got. The, it was Tiny Toons. I got the first job. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't know if this was you're the voice of right. or this was just one job. Come to find out, it was my one job. Mm-hmm. And I had to re-audition and whatever. But it was really cool for my mom to get that call because I had been telling her since I was a kid, I want to do this for a living. I want to play Porky Pig. Not I want to be an actor. I want to play Porky Pig. Okay. So for my, my mom got the first call. That was really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And she's like, finally, he can stop stammering at home well, for fun. Well, what's really interesting is that um, we went out for dinner to celebrate mm-hmm. my family, and I ordered pork chops, mm-hmm. you know. And I was, I got, I got, I got this wave of depression. My mom could, I guess, see in my face that I was sad. Or she goes, "What's wrong?" I said, "I just met my lifelong goal. Mm-hmm. I'm 26. What's next? What do I do next?" My mom says, "You know, since you were five, you said I want to be Porky Pig. I say, eat the pork and just enjoy yourself and <laughs> shut up." <laughs> Yeah, that happened to Dan Gable, actually. Is that right? Uh, Dan Gable was the winningest collegiate wrestler okay. in the history of wrestling. They even name a grip when you tie your opponent up, the Gable grip. Because sure. of he does, and now everybody does the right. Gable grip. He lost his very last match in the NCAA finals. Mm-hmm. Like he went undefeated all through him. high school. Destroyed him. He was sobbing for about three, four days. His roommate calls his mom. His mother drove up to the university, smacked him in the face, said, snap, snap out, out of it. it. Yeah. And that was the end of it. Yeah. 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 And so it was kind of that feel for you as well. Uh, you know, I mean, my mom couldn't understand that, well, as an actor, as an actor, you think every job is your last. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm on shows right now. Right. And I know I, I'm going to be employed based on how many episodes that they've ordered for a few years. Mm-hmm. But you're still thinking, but then what after that? But then what after that? 
But then what after that? But that's the that's the artist inside you. Mm-hmm. Now, success in voiceover is based on diversity. Right. The more genres of voiceover you do, the the better your odds of continuous work. Right. So cartoons, games, commercials, promos, trailers, mm-hmm. toys, audiobooks, whatever it is that you do well. So if it's ah, my my cartoon got canceled, yeah, but I'm the voice of Tide. Right. So you should always have multiple things mm-hmm. that you're working on at one time so it never is dead or slow. But let's say it is your last hurrah as an actor. This is the very last job that you get. What is the last job that you'd want? Oh. Because you got your dream job at 26. Oh, I wouldn't mind that's all, folks, to be the very last thing I ever say as an actor. Mm-hmm. I want it to be like in a Funny. long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. like, like, But I never want to retire. Right. I have no desire to retire. Mm-hmm. I am sure that... You know, as we all age, our voices change. Um, I haven't been playing Luke Skywalker of late, and I did for many, many years. And I was finally told by somebody who was like, okay, let me just tell you, the bottom line is they think your voice is too old now. Because I, I played New Hope Luke, right. and I played Jedi Luke, and uh, Empire Luke. Uh, I didn't play current Luke. And then for years, there was no Luke. Right. So there was it was a different universe. But somebody... Confidentially, they think your voice is, is too old. Now they don't believe you. And I said, like, okay, I can't argue with that. Mm-hmm. And I would never cry ageism. Right. I think a producer has every right to hire anybody they want. Mm-hmm. That is their job, and that is their right. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to. Oh, I just did them recently on Robot Chicken again. Right. So, um, but the bottom line is, some things are out of your control. There is going to come a time where they're going to hear, "I'm too old." To sound like healthy, porky Mel Blanc. I mean, even Mel Blanc at the end right. wasn't nearly as energetic and vibrant. And the emphysema didn't help. No kidding. No kidding. And I remember um, they did a lot of futzing, I think, with his voice in Roger Rabbit mm-hmm. to bring a little bit of vitality yeah. to it. Roger Rabbit was such a great film. And Joe Alasky yeah. played uh, Yosemite Sam in it mm-hmm. because Mel just didn't have the oomph. Right. I actually was way before I ever got a Looney Tunes job, but I'd been trying to get it. I got a phone call um, from the production company. They they want to hear you, your porky pig, for the end of the film because Mel's stamina is just not that great. And I think he heard that, that they were possibly looking elsewhere. And he said, if you don't use me for porky, I don't want you using me for Bugs or Daffy or Tweety or any of the other characters. So they kept him. And he sounded fantastic. Right. He sounded awesome. Yeah, it was like that scene in... Um Bohemian Rhapsody. I know they they upped it three years to where Freddie got AIDS, but of course, you know, he's like, he has AIDS and they're going to perform at Live Aid. That's right. what they did in the movie. And right. he still sounded amazing. Right. And it's great for the movie, but like, it's basically Mel's, Mel Blanc's real story in this one. In Pretty this much. Instance. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. And what at five years old possessed you to go, I want to be Porky Pig? The question I always get, um, there was something that I was attracted to by that character. I think it was a combination of like, were you a chubby child or something? Mm, I was, but not then. Um, no, it had nothing to do with the look. Mm. It had to do with the comedy. Mm. I just found it so funny that as he's trying to get the word out, he ad-libs something else. So, it'd be like, you know, What are you eating for? Mm-hmm. Um, I loved that comedy. Mm-hmm. And... I, I figured out his stutter. I figured out how to make sentences. My voice hadn't changed. I didn't sound a thing like him. Mm-hmm. But I was just, I guess, as an as a, if you're a kid, and you want to go into dance. You're, you're you're attracted to this dancer or a musician. You're attracted to this musician. I was attracted to this particular character. 
That makes sense. And did you drive your mom crazy? Sure. <laughs> drove my mom crazy, drove my teachers. I would answer questions in school like Porky Pig. I would I drove my friends crazy. I'm sure I drove them crazy. And it was a, you know, I'm a kid growing up in the Midwest. You're not going to be Porky Pig. And so it just, at, at, at some point, it just becomes obnoxious. Mm-hmm. But I didn't care. Right. And you made it happen. I did. You know, and then now you get Tiny Toons as the call. and That was the first shot. That's yeah. fantastic. But was there fear that they're like, oh, we liked his Porky, but maybe we want him to be Hampton instead? No, they, I'm, no I think, um, and I auditioned for all the Tiny Toons. They didn't get them. Uh, who, who was Hampton? Don Messick. Mm-hmm was Hampton. No. There was never going to... But here's what they did do. They had the classic Looney Tunes in the first season or so of Tiny Tunes in case the audience didn't grasp Tiny Tunes as a new franchise. And then they were just going to phase them out and keep it Bugs Bunny and Daffy Mm -hmm. Duck. But the Tiny Tunes... I love Tiny Tunes. They were a hit. Oh, they were great. Mm -hmm. Tom Ruger, I mean, that crew, Andrea Romano directing... Those I would I would call those and Animaniacs, which yeah. they're bringing back, as yeah. you know, that th- those are today's classic characters. Yes. Andrea is my voiceover crush. Oh. I told her that to her face. Andrea, and she Andrea was my she she was my auditioner for for Looney Tunes. She's phenomenal at everything she touches. Um, I will to this day credit her for me getting that part, even though you know she was the casting director and the voice director, and she would pass on her list to the studio and they would make the picks. And I didn't do a lot of Looney Tunes with her. I did a movie called Bah Humduck, with, of course, uh, Tiny Tunes. But, boy, she loves actors. Mm-hmm. And I know that it was a hard job to cast. It was, I mean, you asked me, you know, what, what is my feeling of taking on, uh, the passing the torch? Yeah. What was hers? Right. Finding the, the, the next generation. She so respects actors, and she's the kind of director who has an idea in her mind but she'll respect, can I try one for me? I mean, she really understands and appreciates that actors have something to bring to the table. It is a joy. I miss her. She's retired. Right. I miss her. She is um, a gem. Because I got to talk to Wally Burr a couple of times. Yeah. And I love talking to Wally because he was a wealth of information. And a character. Yes. And he comes from all facets of this industry. Yeah. But he came from a military background. I mean, mm-hmm. he was the last trained cavalrymen yeah. before going into World War II. Yeah. And at 88 years old, he was 91 when he passed? Yeah. But I think, I talked to him once when he was in his late 80s, and he was like, I still want to work. Sure. And I was like... Everybody wants to feel relevant. Yeah. 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 You know. And what is it like working with somebody like Andrea or Wally or any of these casting directors or voice directors that have been in the business for a while and just have that ear for it and allow you to be you? And allow you to play with the character. I think we're blessed that the Christy Reeds, the Colette Sundermans, the, the, the directors that... There aren't many voice directors in animation. They're, they're fans. Mm-hmm. I think they're fans of, of the actors. They're fans of, of, the, of the medium. Mm-hmm. And I think they enjoy it as much as we do. Um, the connection between the... I love directing. I'm, a, I'm an actor who craves and needs directing. When I'm acting, I'm too, too busy acting to direct myself. So I love it when a really good director can give me that little nugget, that adjective. Or uh, Colette Sunderman is one of my favorite directors because she's also physical with her direction. I will be you know, peripherally watching her, and I can see her, 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 her face, her eyes... Her bo- or if we're doing a scene where Porky and Daffy are doing a tug of war, and she'll be like, watch me and I'll cut you off. And so she's doing this, 
And for people who couldn't see that, I, I released the, right. the, the the rope, and I'm 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 just pantomiming vocally what she's doing. They're they're connecting with us. They're as as um, as free in their creativity, directing as we are voicing. Um, and I also love the animators because they're actors too. An animator is an actor. Right. They draw with a pen, you know, but they are adding their acting touch. We're, we're a marriage, you know, it's, it's, it is, it is a relationship with the voice actor and the animator. And man, um, there have been times when we haven't had voice directors on some, some things and it's missed. We need a voice director. And now the booth is only, let's say four feet by four feet. For example, like a home booth, right? All right, you have to make this grandiose gesture, yeah, six inches away from the microphone, yeah, that would take place across a football field, for let's right. say, within four feet of space, right? You know, how do you put yourself in that mindset to make it as grandiose as possible with as limited space as you have? It's an actor's job. It's an actor's job. It's what the imagination is for. That's what separates the good working actor from those that can't. This is where improv comes in handy because you've got to take your your, your limited space and make it work with your imagination. But this is also why everybody, and I, I go to a lot of con conventions, I talk to a lot of fans who want to get into this. And they say, I can do a great Homer Simpson, I can do a great Dudley Do-Right. Um, that's terrific. What's your acting background? I don't want to act. I just want to do voices. It's like saying, I want to do ballet, but I don't want to dance. This is acting. So you study acting. You study improv. Then you study voiceover. So you can take your acting skills and marry it to voiceover technique. It's, it's the same thing as saying, you know, how can Michelangelo take a block of marble? And his story was that the, the, the art was inside. He just got rid of all the mess around it. How does he do that? Because he's got that talent too. This is the skill set we've got. So you're right. It's difficult to be in a four by four, but in that cartoon, you're the captain of the ship, and it's going down, and you've got a you know hoist anchor. You you've got to do the best you can with your imagination and your body to make it real. Bob, I want to leave you with this question. Okay. How as adults do we allow ourselves? Aspiring voice actors or established voice actors allow ourselves to play in the booth, in life, in an improv. How do we allow ourselves to just be? Stop giving a damn what people think. That is seriously. The only reason that we're not able to do that is we're, we're afraid they're not going to like us. We're afraid they're going to judge us. We're afraid that we're going to get rejected. Well, if you go through life with that fear rather than, you know what, here's the deal appreciate how you feel but I don't give a damn you don't do it with with attitude you're not cocky about it there's a fine line between confidence and cocky but if you honestly just don't give a flying F what other people think you will give yourself permission to play because you don't care if you look silly when I bring my students to a recording session I'll, every once in a while I'll tell the engineer turn the sound down and we'll be on the side of the booth with the engineer to, and I'll tell my students just watch them Watch their body language. Watch how free they are. They look like total idiots, but they don't care. Why? Because they're in their happy place. So if you put your creativity, your play, when you're funding, finding funny cartoons, uh, making 
original voices, reading comic books out loud. And you don't, well, for let's be honest, go to cosplay. Mm. Those people don't care right. because they each appreciate each other. That is the largest family of, um, what do you call it, a mutual admiration society mm-hmm. because they don't have anywhere else to be that accepted. Mm-hmm. It is actually, I mean, the first time I ever went to a, a convention, I saw that camaraderie with cosplay. I was like, oh, my God, I get it. This is where they feel accepted. And free to just express. Do that in the real world, you got it made. Oh, and one more bonus. Yeah. Um, for someone that's interested in strictly animation, mm-hmm. obviously you suggested all the other things, mm-hmm. but would you recommend them to only focus on modern cartoons because of the direction that they're going, or to go back and watch like the classic Porky and the Daffy and the old Disney cartoons? Because Disney hasn't released any of the old classics like the Three Caballeros sure. or anything. On, on DVD or Blu-ray, right. you know. So you can't just pursue animation. It's very hard because the day-to-day is commercial. So most agents who represent actors for animation probably won't take you on if you just do animation. There's, the other people in the office are going to want to know that you also do commercials. So study acting, study improv, study animation. But if you want to get hired in today's market, you better know today's market. It's okay to be entertained by the classic stuff, but it's a style that isn't in today.